Hello, I welcome you back to Pastor B's Kitchen Table. As you know, this is the table, and I thank you for bringing your family and friends back to the table. And I'm so honored to do something that really hadn't been done before, and that we have a guest who's returned for part two. It was so powerful, part one, and the book that she's written. In fact, our church is, is reading the book right now. I just had to bring her back to talk, because there's more meat on this bone. So, Tarot, so, will you say hello to the, to the kitchen table, please? Hi, hello, hello. I'm I'm glad to be back. Glad to share. Amen. Will you just briefly just share with us once again who you are? Yes. Uh, Sheila Wise Rowe. So I am the author of Healing Racial Trauma, The Road to Resilience. Uh, my background, I am trained as a as a counselor, marriage and uh, family therapist, actually, and also done a lot of group work, worked with individuals, children, couples. Uh, my husband, I, and our two kids, we're not kids anymore. Yeah. They actually are adults. <laughs> our two, they were kids at the time. They now are adults. We spent 10 years in South Africa from 2005 to 2016. Um, so a lot of my work has been in that kind of healing reconciliation space um, as a practitioner, but also as a writer. Amen. Amen. You have, uh, you talked last time about how exhausting it is, and certainly in this climate that we're in, and it's almost like it's something new every morning. Uh, it is totally exhausting, but I, I've, I found great refreshment uh, through your, this, this is a phenomenal book about healing racial trauma, phenomenal book, and all that you have written in it. I've read through it, and as I said before, here at the church, we're reading through it. Some of us are reading through it now. Uh, we have an, an actual young adult, kind of like an activist group, if you will. Uh, they're reading through it now. In fact, we have a book club in October about this very book. So, but there's a couple things I want to talk to you about in the book that just really stood out. Yes. Uh, one, one thing is, I hope I'm phrasing this right, uh, the idea uh, of being the exceptional Negro. Mm, yeah. Can you explain uh, that, please? Well, you know what? Um, I think that it's, it's twofold. So one is that there are times when we are in these majority white uh, context, whether it's school or work, in which uh, there's a way in which we have to excel. Mm. So the message is that we have to, like, we're the exception, actually. Yeah. So the ex exceptional Negro is the person who is the exception, supposedly. Mm. Um, and, and so there's a whole lot of expectation placed on us uh, that we hold internally, but also from the outside, from that uh, majority uh, white culture that we need to somehow, and you see this in the movies, you see these characters in film who are the exceptional ones. And, you know, whether it's like Green Mile, it's like this mythical, large black man, you know, yeah. there's the, you know, or the black woman who's kind of, you know, she's, she's overweight and she's a housekeeper. And, um, but there's something exceptional about her that um, in the way in which she nurtures. So there's a, there's a sense when with that comes a lot of responsibility and a lot of burden yeah. um, that is placed on, on us that we somehow have to perform. So it's not just that we have to perform at 100%, we've got to perform at like 200%. Yeah. Um, and we somehow have to be, uh, it's just over the top exceptional. Yeah, yeah. But what's the collateral damage? Because it, even what you're saying now, many have been raised in that environment which you gotta be twice as good and even uh, you have to monitor the way in which you speak. Don't be too black, 
Don't Absolutely. ask people dress a certain way. Yeah. You know, all those kind of, take your hoodie off, pull your pants up, yeah. you know, all those kind of things. But, but what's the collateral damage from, from being that exceptional Negro? Yeah. You know what? I, in the book, it, um, there's a Du Bois quote about double dual consciousness mm -hmm. and that there's a way in which um, we are black and yet there's, there's like this white gaze that is kind of over our shoulder and influences how we perceive or think or act. And we've got to figure out like how to navigate this. And I think that this is one of the things that uh, a lot of white people don't get is that we've spent a lot of time studying them. Like yeah. we know we them really, really well. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, if we look back in history, we had to know yeah. what was going on with them. Was, the, was there angry? Was someone going to get sold? What, you know, Right. Well, they're going to come and burn the town down, you know, uh, like a, a, a white mob, uh, as in Tulsa. Mm -hmm. And so we, we had to, to have that sense of, you know, how, how are, are they doing and, and then adjust our behavior according to that. Right. And the cost is just a, I mean, if you think about the damage that that does in terms of a sense of identity, yeah. of really being authentically who we are, accepted for who we are, uh, that's not the case. Yeah. And so over time, that does, uh, that psychological damage just has wide ranging effects in terms of our bodies um, as well, um, our relationships um, with, you know, whether it's cross gender or even with our, our same gender, uh, we, we struggle because of that, um, that sense of, I can't bring my authentic self uh, to this work environment or my school um, or my community. Yeah, yeah, I can't bring. You know, which kind of ties me into what you talked about in chapter seven, something called the imposter syndrome. Yeah, yeah. Imposter syndrome. Can you explain that a little bit, please? Yeah. So it, it really comes out of just a sense of uh, because there's these these what I call um, meta narratives. So these are like silent messages okay. that are given out um, that say one like, well, you don't belong here. You don't really belong in this, let's say, high school or a college um, or job, and you only got here because of affirmative action or something got you here, but not really your capabilities and your intellect. And so the way the damage that can happen is that then we begin to internalize that and feel that, you know what, um, we begin to doubt, we begin to doubt, you know, am I, do I really have uh, the chops to actually do this work? Um, you know, and there's a fear with imposter syndrome is that, that eventually someone is going to catch on. Yeah, yeah. They're going to catch on and realize like, actually, yeah, you really don't belong here. Yeah. Um, and it's the, the thing is that it's a, all of it is a lie, yeah. but there's a way in which we can then get bound up in fear and then get bound up in, in like, in, in, you know, uh, imposter syndrome leads to even the exceptional yeah. Negro thing of like I, striving to kind of prove oneself where, again, we're having to do 200% yeah. Uh, yeah. to prove that we're not that we're not. Uh, but internally. It's, it's damaging, it's, uh, it's really just a wearing and a weathering of our bodies because of that sense that we, the stress of that. Can you, you know, can you imagine the stress of thinking I'll be caught any moment? Yeah, and yeah. I'll lose this job. 
Yeah, yeah. You, you know, I, I found it interesting that even with the whole exceptional Negro idea and imposter syndrome, it's almost like that there becomes a desperate desire to be received into these into these circles. Yeah. Yet when you are, I've I seen a strange phenomenon. It's almost as if then I began to have a hatred or a disdain from where I came from. Literally, yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, I was talking. I was talking to someone last week, and they were telling me how uh, they so desired to be in this circle, and they got into this circle. It was a circle of very, you know, elite individuals, and they decided to have a fellowship or a gathering or a dinner or something. So she decided to invite her relative there, and a relative mm -hmm. came with her who she loved dearly, but yeah. it was obvious that the relative does not speak the way they spoke or dress the way they dress, and all those things, and immediately. She felt, she felt just yeah. out of place. Uh, not, not a relative, but she did. She felt embarrassed. Yeah. But, 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 but that's where you came from. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's that whole, this defensive othering, which is that, that term where it's, it's this way of, I'm not like them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and because we want, you know, the, the, this wanting to align with, white supremacy or whiteness or the white elite right. uh there's a defensive like the they are other that's not me i'm you know when people get this the messages from folk like well you know i don't see you as black or i i never yeah, yeah, yeah. i never noticed that that, <laughs> that you were you were black right and you're, you're really not like them yeah, that's right. That's never a good thing. That's never, that's never a good thing. That's right. That's right. Because, because there's a message in that. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's one thing if they believe it, but it, it, it's catastrophic if you start to believe that. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I think the thing is that you see that not only with uh, Black Americans, but you also see it with other other people of color. Yeah. You have, like Asians and you've got the model minority where myth where it's kind of like okay they this is the model minority because they're compliant they're quiet they do what they're told and then you have you have asians and others who fold into that in which they also lose their voice and they also lose their sense of identity um and so it happens across the board in different ways but uh it's it's one of those situations where we're not fully aware of how uh, the, just the, the predominance of white supremacy really, uh, we, we all can kind of subconsciously even fold into that um, way of thinking and, and, uh, and being and engaging with one another. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we're seeing this, we're seeing this with these, you know, these prominent black folk who are the poster children, um, you know, of political parties or Fox News or whatever. And and you you see that sense of I'm not like them. Exactly. There's there's nothing um, compassionate or caring about the, even the narrative that somehow they've got the word to really transform the black community. It's all about shaming. It's demeaning. There's nothing positive in it, yeah, and it, it's a reflection of actually I believe how that person feels internally about themselves. About themselves. Yeah. 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 You know. Um, as I've been talking to young people who've been who've been reading the material and they've certainly have watched your first our first podcast together, obviously now they realize that we kind of been uh, in, in in the words of uh, of the Malcolm X movie, we kind of been duped and hoodwinked, mm -hmm. uh, and they begin to wonder how do you begin the process of un unlearning what you've mm -hmm. learned because we've been taught so much systematically, 
Yes. Yeah. You realize the error and, and, and the intentional deception. Yeah. And about not only who America is, but also who we are. And so how do yeah. you unlearn? How do you begin to retrain, rethink about these things? You know what? I the educational piece is really, really important um, because basically history, real legitimate history. <laughs> Um, verified, like we've got the receipts, everything, the, you know, the data is there, the research, the original documents are there. That has been totally removed from most schools um, and many colleges, unless you specifically go to take a history course and go, you know, further advanced levels. And so it's really learning um, the, the national history of you know, black Americans in, in this country, um, for other people of color too. What is the story yeah. uh, of our, our place in this nation from its inception? And additionally, what is the story for my own family? Because I think that's another piece of it, yeah, yeah. is that because we may not even know that, uh, we have this even, this narrative of, um, and, and maybe it's really focusing a lot on what, what's wrong with um, our family lines. Like, you know, we can see the damage that was done, et cetera. But I would argue too, that it's that holding that tension of there are ways in which God met us, sustained us, carried us, and very similar to the Israelites um, leaving Egypt. Right. And, you know, and, you know, going to the promised land, um, there are ways in which we have ex we've seen the Lord move. Yeah. Um, and if we look at the whole civil rights era and just that whole transformation and post that, this is not to disregard the fact that there's systemic racism that still exists. It has not gone away. It still impacts communities of color. But we've got to know what our history, where's the strength to, because we would not be here if we didn't have the Lord and if we didn't have that that strength coming through our family lines so it's american history but it's also our personal history that's good yeah absolutely because we have many times we don't know how far we have come and what and how right. god has really provided us in some real red sea moments we've had some red sea moments yeah. and god has had to come through uh yeah. he's done just that um yeah. I, I think there's a quote in your book uh by lena horn uh yeah. she, she was talking about your baggage, I, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but she was saying something more to effect is not so much the baggage you have, but how you carry it. How to carry it, yeah. How to carry it, yeah, that, that, that becomes the, the, the geniuses of it. Uh, and, and God's been certainly carrying that. That is such a, a powerful word, because in a time like this, there's so much, you know, rage, there's so much feeling like overwhelmed, there's so much feeling like, why even care? Yeah. And the reality of it is what you just stated before, is God is not dead. Right, absolutely. Our absolutely. God still sees, and, and, and our God, he says, the vengeance is mine, say the Lord will repay. Absolutely. Speaking of that, yeah. you said something else in your book. You said that revenge can never heal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, you reference a scripture that the Lord says that vengeance is his, yeah. that he will repay. Right. And so, at it, you know, when I talk, in the book about vengeance, it's really, you know, something has happened to me and I personally want to take 
it out on that person. I want to pay. And whether it's with my fists, with a weapon, or so I want them to pay. Um, this is not about uh, someone needs to go to, you know, there needs to be a trial and that needs, that's a different story because that's more about justice and how does justice uh, get meted out. But revenge never works because at the end of the day, what it does is that then it just, uh, a lot of the work was around peace studies and what they were seeing is that around the world that you would have, like in Rwanda, you'll have, you know, these, these mass killings and then there's retaliation. Um, and not necessarily in Rwanda, but other, other countries. And then the perpetrator then feels justified to then again attack. Yeah. And then it's this vicious cycle. Right. Um, and so that's one piece of it. And the other part is just, scripture talks about being careful that a root of bitterness doesn't spring up and defile much. Okay. And that when we are in this place of, we wanna meet out vengeance, there's bitterness, um, there's rage. And that, you know, having that unforgiveness literally is poisonous. Mm -hmm. And I, I can say that uh, decades and decades of working with people, families, children, et cetera, I've never met a person who held on to rage and bitterness and unforgiveness and was healthy. I've never met a person yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. It eats, it literally eats away at our minds and our bodies. Yeah. It's toxic. It's not, there's a reason why scripture says, you know what, don't let the sun even go down yeah. holding on to stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, think I want to just add one thing though, yeah. just being careful that okay. we don't also, uh, I don't want to cheapen the whole forgiveness piece, you know, because I don't want to say, oh, we need to just instantly forgive because I think sometimes that has been used and weaponized yeah. and rather than this real lament and real working through forgiveness before the Lord, which is very different than just this, uh, this kind of, I forgive you, yeah. which still holding on the bitterness, still holding on the hurt, even if we're not fully aware of it. Which I think ties to what you were saying that healing is a journey, but it's not yeah. a straight line journey. Absolutely. I mean, it's not artificial, it's not 24 hours, it's not 36 hours. Yeah. It's a journey, but it's not a straight line. Exactly, exactly. It's not a straight line. Yeah. No. And sometimes it's even, it's like a figure eight kind of goes around. Yeah. And yeah. We kind of, and the, you know, the gracious and wonderful thing about the Lord is that He is really patient with us mm -hmm. um, and, and compassion. His compassion is just new literally every morning. And he does grace us to walk through some really difficult and excruciating things that he doesn't minimize. It says that it, it pains his heart to when we are, you know, when we're, we experience racism and wounding and um, abuse and all of that. It's, he collects our tears as a, in a bottle. He, he takes it seriously. Yeah, and yeah. so I think too often we're confronted with these messages of like, get over it. And yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll get over it eventually, but you know, there's a, it, there is a walking through in, in the way in which we look at Jesus and his engagement with people where he was, there was just a tenderness and a walking through and, and the ones that he really went after actually were the, uh, the Pharisees yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the Sadducees. Right. Those are the ones that he went hard after. It wasn't the people who were broken and battered and he even like you know his heart was pained when people said no yeah, yeah you know yeah. so yeah because they had been trusted with the authority 
to to care for the people. Absolutely. Yes. As, as, as opposed, they were called it more of a burden for the people. Yes. And, precisely. And yeah, and that's, that's as you're right. Uh, you know, which unfortunately, many times a lot of the pain is kind of disseminated through the church. Yeah. Which because is so, so many our, our whole premise of, 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 of Christianity becomes more cultural than biblical. Yes. And so, yeah. so we're just trying to hold a standard. I'm saying that's just that's that that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not, right. that's not biblical Christianity whatsoever. You even talked about you said reconciliation and repair. We've heard reconciliation before. Yeah. But you had another element called repair. Yeah. You talk about it, and I think you 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 were alluding to Zacchaeus a little bit and talking yeah. about. It. You, yeah. You, yeah, so the, the scripture that talks about Jesus encountering Zacchaeus, he's at a tree, and Jesus says, I'm coming to your house tonight, and everybody's like, what? They were just like, why would you invite a tax collector? Why would you go to a tax collector's house? That's insane. He's, did you know, he's like stolen from us, etc. But Jesus obviously knew what he was doing, and so Zacchaeus comes down, and then Jesus, um, and he, he immediately is convicted and says, you know what, I'm actually going to not just give back what I stole from people like even he was an agent of the government i stole from them i'm going to and he pocketed some i'm going to give even above that and beyond that yeah. and so um there's a way in which uh, reconciliation it's in repentance is yes it's that turning around it's that stopping doing what it is you do, you're doing but if you cause damage there's an element of a need to repair that damage mm. and and whatever way that the lord might lead and so in very in invariably when we're looking at issues around reparations yeah. and uh where is it that uh repair needs to happen because you know what that whether it's that uh college was literally built on the backs of the enslaved mm -hmm. or that church uh congregation uh the original founders actually had owned you know enslaved men and women and children and so it's making amends because it's saying, you know what, I'm living off of the benefit of the exactly. sin exactly. that I, I actually did, or my denomination did, yeah. my family did. I'm benefiting from it right now. And I'm saying, no, I, I'm, I don't want to, I don't, when I say, let's have reconciliation, the, the extra step is that I'm going to repair what I did. Yeah. I'm going to repair the damage that I did. Oh, that's, that's powerful because so many times you were here where, well, that was my, my ancestor. That was my forefather. That was my great, great whomever. That wasn't yeah. me. So then watch, and you're saying that's part because you're benefiting from it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're standing on the, you're standing on the political, the economical, Absolutely. the social shoulders of what went before you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so Darrell, in, in your own wisdom, uh, what would reparations look like? Well, I think it comes in different forms. So it can be something um, as big as the government really looking at, okay, how can we do repair? Because there are institutions and ways in which um, racism has been um, a systemic issue mm -hmm. in terms of how the government has provided uh, access to medical care, uh, community, you know, redlining, uh, causing people to be stuck in certain communities where they're under-resourced, whether, you know, whether it's trash collecting or the quality of the water and Flint still doesn't have 100% clean water. Um, you know, what is it that the government needs to do 
because of what has happened more recently, or even if we go back in time, we look at you know the uh, Black Americans who were enslaved. Okay, uh, it's not difficult to find who who those people were. There's lots of those websites where ancestry, et cetera, where you can find. I and that was part of my research in um, doing this book and looking at my own family line and the different. Now I found all sorts of information, yeah. and it goes it goes pretty far back. You'd be surprised. Yeah. At, I mean, I literally found like a great, great, great grandfather and his birth date. And clearly he was born under slavery. And so it's there. That's one way. Um, it was a recent um, situation where a person who was white, and there have been a couple of instances where they have basically made a commitment to uh, provide either financial support and helping uh, black uh, and brown folk buy property um, and uh, whether it's getting them the education that they need to be, to be able to save, to be able to uh, purchase properties in the neighborhoods that they want to be in. And, um, but that required some sacrifice yeah. on the part of the white folk and whether it's sacrificing their own assets. Um, there's one person who bought a built apartment a, a couple of apartments and has subsidized the rent so it's below market rate um, as their way to someone can come in and then get their equity up and then they're able to buy. So there are very ways, many ways of being creative about how to do that on an individual level as well as how to do it more corporately. I like and, it. Uh, you know, so it's, it, it isn't all about, well, the government has to do it. It's yeah. as an individual, how is the Lord might be convicting uh, someone who is white, who's privileged, and and how they might help lift up and lift up their brother and sister in Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen, amen. It's not one size fit all, but right. It, start where you are. You can. I I, I, I like that reconciliation, repair, reparation. I, I really I love that. Now I I kind of preface all this to get you to what you what you talked about and it root out of John five uh, about the man to pull the Bethesda. Yeah. And Jesus asked that that, that that all important question is that do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be yeah. healed? Yeah. And you spent that chapter talking about healing. Yeah. And so the people that are watching now and who are at their wits' ends, uh, you've talked them down off the ledge and you've talked them down from going to get their 12 gauge shotgun. Yeah. Uh, but now, what do we do about the healing? Can you talk about which, what you referred to about? the healing process and what Jesus yeah. did with that man. Yeah. Uh, I think that first, that fundamental question about do you want to get well is a question that we all have to answer. Yeah. Um, and and that's the starting place. And it kind of, you think about it, it was like, okay, the man's been laying by the pool for who knows how long. I mean, yeah. it actually says how long, but it's been a long time. Yeah. And why would you ask him that? He's yeah. saying he's trying to get into the pool, but somebody gets in his way. and. You know, why would Jesus ask them that? But Jesus is, is basically saying uh, for the man to really examine what is he, would he do what he needs to do to get healed? Um, and, and, and the man said, yeah, he wanted that. And so it's a similar question that the Lord asks us, but it does mean that we have to look at some painful, painful experiences, things that we don't want to look at. Um, things that we've basically stuffed down because we've had to keep going. Yeah. And so 
will we take the time to unpack that? And that may mean for, for some of us, it means we need to see a counselor mm -hmm. to really work through what has happened and, and how it has affected us. Mm -hmm. um, for some of us, the having a community of people where we can start to unpack things and to pray for each other mm -hmm. and really lament mm -hmm. um, individually um, in, in the group corporately around just before the Lord around how, how much uh, has happened, how much pain. Um, and, and just as, as black people, we've endured so much yeah. and, and, and just being absolutely honest with God about what it is that we experienced, how we feel about it. Um, that is the beginnings of, of healing, of being really brutally truthful about what that is and listening. What does he say about that, about what we've experienced? And what is, what is it that he's done over the years? What is he doing right now? What is he wanting me to do? Yeah. Um, just be, beyond uh, getting healed individually, how would he want me to then reach out yeah. in terms of my community? Yeah. And so it's, it's looking at that, it's having a soul care plan. And I'm saying to everybody you know, before, November 2nd, yeah. and that is how are you going to take care of yourself? Yeah, talk and, about that for a minute, Sister Rose, a soul yeah. care plan. Yeah, yeah, so it's really looking at all of our, our minds, your body, your spirit, um, your, your work. What are the things that you need to have in place that will help? sustain you when the stress gets off the hook. Yeah. And I feel like many of us are at this place right now. Um, and as recently as with Brianna Taylor's verdict, that thing coming down and just, you know, the sense of weariness and anger and exhaustion. And I don't know if it's going to get any better. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and I think that things are going to ratchet up before the actual election, and then afterwards, I don't know how it's going to go down, but having a plan in terms of this is what I need. I need to really look at my relationship with the Lord, and I, I'm going to need him to carry the burdens that I've been carrying. Yeah. I'm going to need his peace. Yeah. I'm going to need his grace to walk through this. I'm going to need his joy because it's not just about the pain, and, but I want to see where's their life and beauty and joy as well. Um, as I'm thinking about my mind, do, you know, I, maybe setting up an appointment with a counselor is preemptive. Yeah. Um, getting uh, that kind of support, having writing this out, like this is what I'm going to be doing yeah. in terms of planning this. Physically, what, how is it affecting my body? Um, where am I carrying stress and pain? Uh, and and how to, you know, the thing about stress is that it's when we don't release it, that's when it becomes really harmful and toxic to our bodies. And so there are many ways of, of releasing that stress. And, and so whether it's, it's engaging physically um, and whether it's jogging, whether it's walking, um, whether it's really asking the Lord to meet us in the place where we're in pain mm -hmm. and, and just um, having that, that, ministry of the Holy Spirit just touching us in that place where we're carrying stress. And if we actually get quiet enough and listen to our bodies, we can actually feel it. We can feel weird. I have a slight headache or there's something going on in my stomach. 
and just I just recommend people just place their hand wherever that is and just pray. Yeah. Ask the Lord to meet them in that place of, of pain. Um, and even in terms of work and relationships, you know, what are the relationships that you need to have around you that are really going to support you during this time? And, you know, if you need someone to come alongside you who's going to really be present and listen and pray for you and walk with you, then you need to know who, that, who those people are. Yeah. Because the worst thing is that you expect whatever yeah. uh, this person to be that, and they really aren't capable of that. Right, right. And so you want to be intentional. You want to be intentional about your faith community. Yeah. That you know you're in a situation where you feel like you are seen, valued, um, supported. Um, where you're getting the word, you're you're getting worship, um, and you're also engaging in worship and the word at home. So all of that is like, that's a part of a soul care plan. I go into more detail in the book, but um, that just to give an idea of being, being that intentional and not just thinking, oh, it'll happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, the thing that resonated is what you demonstrated is that healing is not an external thing. It's yeah. begins internal. The healing has to happen within our whole being. Absolutely. But the Lord said, the Lord said, I am your healer. And so, yeah. The Lord oversees our healing, and it has to be a healing. And I think someone needs to capture that, that it's, it's, it, it, if we're waiting for the cavalry to come, or yeah. waiting for the government to come, or waiting for our stimulus check to come, none of that will provide your healing. Right. God has to do that himself from the inside. That is, that is profound, profound, profound. Praise God. Oh, my goodness. We have enjoyed your book, enjoyed your, your wisdom, and uh, enjoyed your stories. I mean, even a story you told about having this this more this, this healing group if you will and yeah. you guys are meeting inside of this church and you had your first or second meeting and then after the meeting was over a guy runs into a fellow to the church he's been shot yes and so, and so what happens now to the group and and, and what people can see is just a safe place you know and and, and, how, and how god worked through all that yeah. uh and, and i was a, but I, I think as i've said earlier seeing the the diversity in mm. where god has led you to see different people, different pigmentations of skin, different backgrounds, and yet God unifying you all together uh, yeah. to bring about this healing. That, that was profound because it's Can not- Can I just say one thing though? The reason why is that people were in a place where they actually were honest and transparent. Yeah. And so that kind of broke down the, the typical lines that were there. And so literally you would have a, a you know, a store clerk sitting next to a doctor, sitting next to, you know, a teacher, sitting next to a janitor, you know, and it was a level playing field. Yeah. It was, we're, we're all here, we're all seeking healing. I remember once uh, there was a, a white guy who, he came to the group, and we were meeting at that time at um, AME Church in Boston, and, and they had, they actually were meeting in a gym. Mm -hmm. And the person was like, oh, you know, he, at the end of the group, he was basically, he said, when I came in here and I thought, I saw, oh my gosh, this is being run by black people. So it was my husband and I who were running the group, um, but our team was very diverse and the members uh, were very diverse. He immediately had to confront his own racism. Yeah. Um, but and then he still thought, eh, and it's a gym. And then as the weeks progressed and he, he said, you know what, I, the Lord convicted him of that convicted him of the biases that he had in terms of, and even went and, you know, started making friends um, who were people in his work, et cetera, who were black. 
um, because it tore down that sense of being real, being honest, um, being transparent about the places of brokenness and the need for healing really uh, made those divisions yeah. fall away. Wow, wow. Now that, that, that's, that sounds to me like what happened in the book of Acts. Yeah. The, yeah. the Holy Spirit did and right. in different tongues and languages and everything. God just, just, just unified it. Yeah. Uh, he brought forth transparency. And so, yeah. wow. You know, you certainly, I'm, I'm going to give you the last word. And, and, and as we prepare to depart, uh, for those watching and those that will be listening, uh, what would you say to them about resilience? Yeah. Well, I, the reality is that we're going to be facing this stuff. We're going to be facing racism. We're going to deal with racial trauma. And that's the thing is that we're, we're healing. And in many ways, we're healing from a backlog of stuff we've been carrying. I like that word, the, backlog. Yeah. yeah. And the reality is going forward, we're going to be confronted with some new stuff. Yeah. And so what are the places, whether you know it's around soul care, um, supports, et cetera, that we will have in place um, to help uh, strengthen us, to encourage us, so that we are stronger and stronger. So when the next thing comes, we're no longer doing what we were doing before, which was just trying to minimize it, trying to ignore it, or pushing it down. Um, we're not doing that anymore. We're, we're saying, we're releasing that. And with as we continue to do that, we grow stronger and stronger, so that when the next thing comes, we are not so bowled over and bowled under by it. Yeah. And so that is a, that's the walking out part. Um, and and we we learned from these painful experiences from the past. Um, we then began to start to see, and, and resilience is a part of that, that it's not just all about everything that's wrong, but there's stuff that's right, mm -hmm. uh, that's good, and so that we're able to see uh, things more clearly and more, you know, it's, it's, it's a full picture. It's a real picture. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that's a word for every single person. It's a, that to look at, at your life and where are the ways in which God is at work. And, and it may be some small ways, it may be big ways, but he's at work. Um, and it's just where are we, where are we looking? That's the issue. Wow. Where, where are we looking? Yeah. yeah. I think it's forcing us to reconsider what do we really believe about God? Yeah. And what do we know him to do? Because if our faith becomes eroded, if our faith becomes, in, in which we jettison our faith, what we know about God, yeah. uh, then we have, we, have, we have no anchor for the soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow, wow, wow. So you encourage us to press on. Sister, Sister yeah. Roy, I thank God for you and your ministry. And yeah. uh, Are you currently working on any new material? Yes. So I'm working on book two. I'm not pulling, I'm, it's coming together. <laughs> so um, one thing that is happening is that we are planning. Um, so it's me and it's some people actually that I've been in, involved with the ministry for, for years. But so we're looking at a healing racial trauma um, training um, series that we want to do uh, for people who want to minister to people who are dealing with racial trauma. So that we're actually um, looking at in like the end of October to start the first one. It will just be over three sessions, but intensive, a couple of hours each time and really unpacking that and, and uh, equipping uh, folk to be able to walk with people through that. Um, and then also looking at other opportunities for um, individuals who are dealing with racial yeah. trauma. 
um, to to get some support. Wow. And good. all of this will be online. So um, I would say watch this space and, um, you know, folk can connect with me on Facebook, um, Twitter, or Instagram. And I'll definitely be posting when these things are going to be happening. Amen. Well, dear, you, you should have a waiting list. Because um, yeah. <laughs> the times we're in now, healing needs to happen. And I thank, thank God for, for allowing you to speak uh, at the kitchen table today and to encourage our hearts. Uh, look you. forward to getting with you again. May God bless you and your family, bless your ministry. May you continue to fight the good fight and keep on Amen. serving Jesus throughout all this. Amen. So God bless you. God keep you. Whatever it is, family and friends, you have heard it right at the kitchen table, Sister Rowe. Uh, go out and buy this book. Go buy this book. Go buy this book. What's against the role? You said we can buy this book where? So um, it's on Amazon, but also ivypress.com, which is the publisher. They have the book as well. Um, so it, it's an audio book, ebook, as well as a paperback. Yeah. Go buy the book. Read the book. I mean, it's, it's, it is just saturated with the word of God and and true experiences and also victories in Christ. And you need to you need to set your mind on things above. You need to renew your mind. And that's what this book allows you to do. Not to escape the reality of what we're in, because we're in some tough stuff. But yet we're more than conquerors through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So to the road, God bless you, God keep you. And all of all the guests, we'll see you next week right here at the kitchen table.